Are you not a citizen of the world? If you are a citizen of the world, you have to engage with stuff. You can't just put your head down and say, you know, this doesn't matter to me. Because, like, what matters? OTB AM. Live. Weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. Brian O'Driscoll. On Off The Ball. With Vodafone. Official sponsors of the Irish rugby team. Team of us. Everyone in. You are very welcome along. It is set to be a big weekend of action in the Heineken Champions Cup. Uh, If everything goes ahead as planned, and that might be a big if, we will have the four Irish provinces in action over the next few days. At 8 o'clock on Friday night, Cash against Munster gets the weekend up and running from an Irish perspective. Then at a quarter past three on Saturday, it's Connacht against Leicester. Leinster take on Montpellier at 1 o'clock on Sunday. And then it's Northampton against Ulster at a quarter past three on Sunday. Happy to say Brian O'Driscoll is with us. How are you getting on, Brian? Hey there, Owen. How are you? Yeah, very well. Uh, I guess the one place to start is with Munster and with Johan van Graan. The, the noise really hasn't gone away despite the fact that we've known for quite some time that he is moving to Bath. It, it seems to have really ratcheted up over the last 10 days or so. Many questions about van Graan's commitment to the cause between now and the end of the season and then van Graan maintaining that that commitment question is not a question at all, that he is fully committed to Munster. Uh, is there a way that Munster managed to step away from the noise, do you think, between now and the end of the season? Um, I guess it's really dependent on the results, isn't it? Um, on how they go, on how they perform. Um, winning masks all cracks. And if they can go on a, on a sequence of, of um, wins, I think people will forget what's gone on the last few weeks. I think the timing of it, obviously with the substandard performance, very disappointing performance against Connacht after a kind of limped victory against Cast in the week that he was announced that he was going to be leaving and then subsequently going to Bath. It's inevitable. And it's, it, I guess there's a human instinct part. People will think, oh, you know, it's about professionalism. You can't help but, you know, let the effects of a decision like that impact you in some shape or form. And, um, you know, they, they probably were at a bit of a low ebb, the, the disappointment that ultimately their coach was leaving them, having signed a contract in the summer to say he was going to stay on. Um, and, yeah, there's almost, I'm not necessarily saying there's a mourning period because I don't know if they're actually devastated that he's going be, because it, it felt like we were in a bit of a limbo as to whether they wanted him or not. Um, but when someone decides that they want to leave you rather than you wanting to get rid of them. It, 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 it has an image. It's like, like the girlfriend that breaks off with you versus you doing it to her. It's always a bit more hurtful when, when you're the one on the receiving end. So, um, you know, he's taken a lot of, he's taken a bit of a beating the last while. And I, I think part of the problem with particularly his interview um, with Murray Kinsella on, on Saturday uh, before the game, you know, He's never really shown much of himself. He's never really shown much emotion. And you think about the emotion is everything in this game. Emotion is everything to the people down in Munster. So if a coach comes on and is pretty benign with, you know, his comments, whether you win, lose or draw, it's very hard to really get motivated behind that. And, And he talks about, okay, you don't know me, you know, personality-wise. No, we don't. And I think if, if you counter that with someone that I think has had big, big success, even though some of the results have been pretty mixed, in Andy Friend, you talk about, you know, you, you get emotion from him. You get, you know, you get tweets from him. And, and that's a modern-day coach, you know, wouldn't be for everyone. 
but it's not just when things are going well. It's like, yeah, disappointed with this performance. It shows that there's actually hurt there or there's joy there. Whereas with Van Gran, it's always felt as though it's kind of, there's nearly a flat line on emotion. And it's very hard to subscribe to that, to get anything from a coach like that of going, is he really, has he got a vested interest in, in this or not? Or is he just there for a paycheck and doing a gig and checking in and checking out? So I can understand the frustrations of the supporters um, because it's that's not a new aspect to his coaching. He, he's been like that for four years. And, um, and it's now, if they don't turn the performances around and the results around, I think this the question as to whether he will stay on till the end of the season will remain. Do you think that maybe Munster fans could gain some heart from the fact that Munster fought back pretty well with 14 men last week? We can get into the style of play in just a moment, but in terms of the fight and the appetite, that hasn't been under any question really over the last little while from this Munster team is that in any way an indicator that that Van Graan privately because your point is definitely true when it comes to his public appearances but but privately uh, there is that sort of red heart of Munster beating there that the players can all appreciate that and, and that is being replicated in at least the efforts of the team very likely um, I think he does seem like a popular guy I don't know you know I think there's you know, he, you hear mixed reports from inside and outside of camp as to what you know standard of coaching you know coach he's perceived to be. But I think from a popularity perspective, I think he's considered to be quite a nice guy. And so you know, it's I guess it's more difficult to hate someone that you get on quite well with. Mm. Um, but I, I I guess I. Um, I'd feel frustrated for them because we none of us knew about this extended contract, you know, until it was reversed. And no matter who you are, and and we've been in a similar situation with Leinster in, in 05, and it was even worse than that, where Declan Kidney left us to go back to Munster. And um and we had to cut you know, you know, we had to cut him and bring in a you know a, a replacement. Um you know, uh, someone to, to kind of um, hold the reins for the three or four month period of, of towards the end of the season because when you're when he's going to one of your adversaries, you just can't. You, there's the element of trust is completely broken, and I think there's an element of that with Van Gran. It's it's the relationship is a bit broken, and you talk about he talks about being totally committed to the monster cause for the remainder of the season. I don't know how he can sim- how he can actually be 100% committed. Are you saying that he's not in communication with Stuart Hooper and Bruce Craig over in Bath around the recruitment of new players as to how they're going to do things? Because a big part of coaching isn't just coaching the season you're involved in. It's future-proofing other years. And when he's looking at a three, is it a three-year contract that he signed over in Bath? He's got to hit the ground running as well. Now he's going into a good situation over there because they're playing absolute muck this year and they've, they've won their first game uh, of of 11 or 12 last weekend, scraping by with a, with a penalty, you know, against against the other worst team in the league. So um, it's it does feel as though you know, he's trying to tell everyone that he, he he's fully committed. He might be fully committed when he's in Munster camp, but you can be sure when he's at home, he's having conversations around his new gig because that's ultimately going to be a major priority of his um, over over this kind of four or five month period of making sure that his um, new bosses are happy and that they are, are in a position where they can grow immediately upon his arrival. 
how much of a season was remaining after Declan Kidney told you that he was going back to Munster? I, I think about about two and a half or three months. So right. it wasn't the end of the year. I think a lot of um, it might have, might have even been less. Um, we um, I think we might have been knocked out of Europe by Leicester in the quarterfinal. We'd won all six pool matches and then we got thrashed by Leicester in Lansdowne Road. Um, and yeah, and then he, you know, it was a Jerry Murphy came in and and took over for the period of time and it was the right decision you can't have someone even even from that recruitment point of view you can't have someone you know staying on that's going to be recruiting for one team when he's going to be pitting himself against that team later on there's zero trust there how do you know and i'm not saying this about Declan but how do you know that the coach isn't going to recruit which might favor his his new team in you know the following couple of seasons so we had to, um, you know, he, he had to be moved aside and uh, and removed from the post, and 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 he went down, and he had big success with Munster. So I'm sure he doesn't regret that decision in any shape or form. But you know, we were, yeah, there was a that was a pretty dark time for us. We'd gone through three coaches in three years at that stage, and and Michael Checker was just about to come in, and you know, thankfully there was an uplift from there. So it, it's. It's a it's a tricky one because is Graham Rowntree going to be the guy that's going to get the head position? Obviously, he hasn't wanted to put his hand up because if he's if he's overlooked for us, then what position of power does it put him in? So I get why he's being coy about staying on, but you can be sure that it's time for him to be a head coach now. He's done an awful lot of assistant coaching jobs and, and quite a lot of success. I've been coached by him, albeit as a forwards coach in the Lions Tour. He's a very popular guy, really nice guy, very good, intense at training, um, hardworking. So he's got all the qualities, I guess. The big thing is, can he pull it all together and have and be the top guy and and delegate to other people and trust other people to do their roles and it's a very different prospect of trying to to um to captain the ship rather than you know be one of the one of the um one of the sailors would it help the players if Roundtree's future was cleared up in terms of the specific role that, that he's going to fulfill sooner rather than later because th- there's been some comparisons made between this situation and even Joe Schmidt in 2019 that the Ireland players knew that Joe Schmidt was gone Andy Farrell was stepping up and while they'll say Jesus no it was a World Cup there was no complacency whatsoever there's still the suggestion out there that maybe in the subconscious of these players that the departing head coach did, did have a factor in 19 Yeah well, well what I would say about that is if you know that the the coach that's staying is is likely to get the main job. Mm. There's no doubt that there's going to it's going to heighten um, performances for the remainder of this season, where you've got the guy that's still that you have to impress still involved in the environment. Now, the fact that they I think it's a smart piece of business, irrespective of who may come in above him or with him to sign him up as as soon as they possibly can um he's um you know he's he's bedded in very well there the family's obviously well settled and i think you do need some continuity when you leave, lose the head coach you lose the attack coach you've got to have some level of continuity i just am unsure as to whether they're earmarking a big overseas name doesn't i don't know is it is a prendergast you know ready for for their role i don't know if they feel um, he's you know he's quite ready to 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 step in where Vergran and and Larkin have gone. So 
I think they're probably mulling it over in their own heads, trying to buy themselves some time as to come to a decision whether they're um, whether they're um, up to you know taking a risk on on Roundtree or whether they need to to get a bigger name in there who's tried and tested. It's interesting because you mentioned the contract there as well, that there was a sense that Munster were content enough to continue with the, the Van Gran experiment. And I think it actually kind of plays into what you're saying about maybe Van Gran, the public persona, that it's kind of unspectacular, that, that people were maybe sitting on the fence quite a bit about whether or not Van Gran was a good coach or a bad coach, how uh, interesting he is as a, as a man or, or how giving he was maybe in, in his dealings. It, it just all felt very vanilla, I guess, over over the last little while and perhaps paints a picture of... Over four years, own Over four yeah. years. There's been very little emotion from him at any point. And I understand that that's his personality type. But that's fine when things are going relatively well. But it's an expectant club. It's a club that, that feels as though it should be getting to finals, winning trophies year on year. And, and they haven't. They've underachieved. They've gone to semi-finals perennially for the last number of years. and And when they do fall short i'm not saying he's an excuse maker but he's he's it it just it doesn't feel as though he's aching like i think the supporters are or that the players are and i'm not saying that he doesn't but it doesn't come across well and and you need that from your coach you know we we go back i i know alex ferguson had kevin keegan in his pocket when i i, I you know i'll i will <laughs> love it if we beat them but how much must those and Newcastle United supporters have loved their coach in that moment because he was pouring his heart out. That's what fans want. That's what supporters want. They want to see that raw emotion from their coach that they're feeling, that they feel as though, okay, someone's, our coach is giving everything he possibly can to this situation. And he's when, when, when we fail, he's dying with us. And... Um, and I just don't think you get that from, from Van Gran. And as a result, I think the sympathy when a decision like this happens and he's choosing it for family reasons or monetary reasons, whatever, I think there's very little sympathy that goes with, with someone when it doesn't feel as though maybe they've, they've been, you know, played, played all in for the four or five years that they've been here. What's happened as well now, Brian, is that because of this news, everything is focused on Johan Van Gran. And in spite of that, I guess the performance against Connacht was so poor, they didn't really land a shot on Connacht and they weren't great against Ulster. Granted, it was it was a, a brilliant, I guess, fight back with, with 14 men to, to win in the way that they did. But in terms of the style of play and what they actually brought to proceedings in the last couple of games and, of course, against Cash, it has been disappointing. But there are other people that can have fingers pointed at them here as well. The players, Stephen Larkham as well, seems to, uh, his importance seems to have, uh, I guess, faded into the background a little bit since he's announced that he's leaving at the end of the season as well. So where do you look to when you analyse those last three performances in particular? Well, well, the book does stop with the head coach, doesn't it? And um, ultimately, that you know, you're in that the big position, the best paid position, because you know it, it rests on your shoulders. The success you enjoy, the the, the disappointments you have to bur- you know take that burden, um, and and that's what you do as a head coach. That's why you know there's lots of people that are happy to be assistant coaches because they you know they'll take you know, lower salaries, but there's less pressure that comes with it. And people, some people react personality wise to that position better than they do a head coach um, role. Um, But um, I I do think that there's, you know, there's got to be, you know, questions posed to, to Larkham, you know, their attack shape at the start of the year, I thought began pretty well. 
Um, they they looked as though they were trying to push the pass a little bit more, but now they've they've reverted back to one out runners, trying to play, you know, the attritional game that maybe the personnel doesn't allow properly. You might be okay in in the URC with that, but when you come up against the best teams, the quarterfinals, semifinals, finals of Europe against the more powerful French teams and the better English teams, that won't be enough. You've got to think your way around creating space for yourself, and it just feels as though they've. The, the steps forward they took in the early part of the season, they've absolutely regressed. And it's been very easy for defensive sides, well-organized defensive teams to be able to analyze them and and counter the, the punches that have that have been thrown at them. So I think it, it, it feels very frustrating. Stephen Larkham shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't, he shouldn't go unscathed from, from all of this because um, he does an awful lot of the on-field coaching. Uh, my understanding is so if if they're struggling to you know, put continuity of phases together and and play a style that's breaking teams down, well, the book stops with Van Graham, but it definitely stops with him too. What we're probably going to see on uh, this weekend on Friday night uh, is Jack Crowley starting, which will probably be his biggest start in the Munster shirt. Granted, we need to see the final team sheet, but he is set to start according to reports uh, today. I guess what we've had over the last few months is this conversation about what Ireland should be doing with their number 10s. Should Crowley have gone abroad last year to actually get those minutes? As things have turned out, he's going to get some pretty important reps between last week and and this weekend. Uh, What have you made of the early signs of Jack Crowley in a Munster shirt? I'd heard so many positive things about him. He's obviously gone well at at Ireland 20s and... um, you know, the, the limited occasions that I've seen him, he looks as though he's a talent, there's no doubt. And, you know, he's a, he's a young guy. That you always say it about young guys in their first couple of seasons. I think you've got to give them a little bit of rope. They're going to make errors. They're going to make mistakes. They're, you know, the space is is considerably reduced on what they're used to. So there's a betting in period. Um, but this will be a massive test for him. He looks, you know, pretty silky. He looks like he's got nice footwork, good passing game. I guess the important thing is just doing simple things very well this weekend. He made a couple of errors last weekend, one or two, you know, knock-ons and lost the ball in contact. Just those sort of things you 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 as a as a controlling uh, player within any environment, you've got to have a very very low error count. Um and facilitate others, more experienced players around you to bring the big game. He's going to have Dialende back. I think Farrell, you know, is is playing his way back into a, a little bit of form now as well, and um, and he's going to have some of his back three. So I guess it's all to do with the platform that he's given by by his pack, which will be difficult over in Cast. You know, they don't they don't lose very often at home. Big marauding pack. We saw what they were capable of in Thoman Park. They kind of negate your attacking abilities. They slow the game down, and it's you know I played in the pitch over in Cast at this time of the year. It's not you know it's not the high veld. So. Um, they're going to have to, you know, roll their sleeves up and get down and dirty. And it's just going to be a control game. It's about um, not trying to overplay your hand, kicking well, doing the basics extremely well. So I guess from his perspective, it's not trying to be a magician. It's not trying to do um, something, you know, for people to hang their hat on. You know, I, I suppose you, you, you could draw the comparison. I um, The previous week against Connacht, um, What's his name at, at ten Healy? Ben Healy. Um, yeah. You know, tried yeah, tried a fifty-eight meter drop goal, right? Mm. So I think for me, what did that say? That said, I'm I'm trying to be the guy that has the rocket launcher of a right boot, and I'm not trying to knock a guy because 
if it's a shot to nothing from 40 out and you, you know, goes into the in-goal area, you might get possession back. But when you are 30 yards short of it, I just think what message is that sending to the rest of your team? It's a bit, it, it's like you're trying to be something that you don't have to be. He, he, the 10 in Munster needs to be the controlling influence. You've got lots of good players around you. You've got one of the best centres in the world playing at 12. You've got, you know, Connor Murray or Craig Casey, who I continue to be excited by inside you. So, you you know, you have to just be that facilitator for other players' perform, and you grow into your performance rather than need to be the X factor yourself. That's not their role right now. Uh, their role is to be able to go and allow you know all the you know, all fourteen players around them to deliver their best and just be the guy, almost like the referee that you know doesn't stand out. That's what the ten needs to be. Doesn't need to be a standing figure. Kick your goals, make minimal errors, make the odd break, perhaps be you know pass well, and that's what will give them the platform to play well in cast. Except potentially, there's maybe a lack of security around your immediate future, and you're thinking to yourself, I need to show off here to be Joey Carberry's number two next season? Showing off's not going to help help his, his cause. It's really not. Because they're not looking for... They're not looking for... Like, Johnny Sexton was never... Even when he broke through, he, he was, it was never the standout performer. It wasn't like he had a, kind of majestic footwork or did any one thing brilliantly well. He's very good pass to the ball, but it was about bringing his forwards and backs together. And and that's what the role of a 10 is first and foremost. You, know, you think about the magical 10s, like, you know, Quade Cooper, right, is very, very skillful player. But look at the career that he's had versus the talent that we saw early on. Sometimes you want the guy that, you know, the, the straight shooter, Mornay Stain, perfect example, mm. right? He's had a phenomenal career, but you look at the talent of Quade Cooper versus a Mornay Stain. Mornay kicked extremely well, kept his team going forward, played to the game plan, you know, made his tackles, you know, passed when he had to, hardly ever, didn't make too many breaks. But yet, he's been lauded and done great things at key moments. That's what you need to do as a as a ten, you know, in any jersey, but particularly that Munster jersey at the moment. You're not trying to be anything other than some, a conduit between your forwards and your backs to be able to make allow them to play the game plan that that has been designed for them and to um, and to put that into effect. And if you can have a magical moment or a break or two or a nice offload over the course of that game, that will enhance that baseline foundation performance. You are listening to Brian O'Driscoll here with us on Off the Ball. Rugby and Off the Ball is with thanks to Vodafone, official sponsor of the Irish rugby team. Team of us, everyone in. Now at a quarter past three on Saturday, Connacht are at home to Leicester. Obviously lost out narrowly in the return leg a few weeks ago. You're going to be covering this one for BT, Brian. And I guess if they win at the weekend, they'll be on the precipice of, precipice of qualification, which would just be a huge milestone in the progression of the province in general, let alone this team. Well, they've been the ones that have said this is this is our target this year. We want to qualify for the knockout stages. They've not done it before, and I, and I think that it it was a realistic target for them. It was always going to be difficult against Leicester and Stad, um, particularly the way Leicester has started this year. But you know, I, I must say, I, I I questioned what they were going to be able to do over in Welford Road, and boy, did they respond. They're 
um, very well drilled in defence. I think they're um, they've got some of their key performance performers playing very very well. You know, we're it feels like we're talking about Jack Carty an awful lot. And then if you look at the other tens in the Ireland setup, we haven't seen Johnny Sexton since November. The Byrne brothers haven't played since um, since November themselves. I don't think um, you've got Carberry injured, so m- maybe that's why. You know, we're talking about Carty, but also the fact that he's, you know, their co-captain. He's had a couple of really big performances. He's played well against Stad. He played well against uh, Leicester. He knocked over the drop goal to keep, you know, to get them the losing bonus points. So he's doing all the things that are being asked of him to get back in the international reckoning. But it feels as though, they, you know, watching the Munster performance, they're, they're a well-coached team. They're trying to push the pass a little bit more. They realise that they can't muscle up against the best team, so they've got to think their way around it. A bit like the Pat Lamb team of a few years ago. Um, but but now they're discovering their own way and a, and, a, and, a, and kind of slight nuances of, of, um, of where they've been in the last couple of years. Their launch plays are really good. They, you know, Mac Hansen, they've got a try score in him. Keen Prendergast is playing really great rugby. You know, having watched the circuitous route to getting to the to playing, you know, top professional rugby. So I think they're starting to have guys really step up and put their hand up for 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 international selection. Connor Oliver, another one. So they're they're an exciting team to watch. I think if you counter what we've seen from Munster the last few weeks, on the flip side, Connacht are a good team to watch. They're exciting. They're trying to play. And um, and yeah, and and they're making the most of their resources. There's no doubt they they don't have the best players in the provinces at home. No no doubt that the other teams have probably uh, a higher standard of player across the board. But boy, do they make up for that with um, togetherness and unity and coaching and playing for the jersey. You'd have to say as well, looking at the season results-wise. I mean, the, the the Leinster results at the, the start of December, the only one that that looks bad across the season, and even in the context of that game, Connacht weren't bad for a huge swathe of that game. Like the, the way you're talking there, Brian, about just how good they are in terms of their strike plays, maybe some creativity that they have across the back line as well. The the, the one but that always comes up is just the, the lack of grunt up front. Like, I mean, should the IRFU be, be potentially looking at this situation thinking to themselves, Connacht are literally just one or two forwards away from being real contenders for either the URC or, or to make getting out of their pool a real expectation consistently in the Champions Cup? Yeah, I think they are. I think they, you know, they, after after three or four rounds, they were there was real concerns as to where they were going to be with the URC. And particularly with this new qualification process for Europe, I thought, oh, you know, Connacht are the, one, are the ones that are going to most likely, you know, miss out on the opportunity of, of playing, you know, finishing top, uh, top eight. Um, so uh, all of a sudden, you know, with some of their performances, um, home and away, that the, they've kind of turned that around and they're right back in, in you know, in the in the better half of of their conference, um, yeah, I guess you know no differently than any of the other problems. It's it's about attracting the quality of player that you want to be able to to deliver for you. You know, the likes of Papi'ili, you know, looked great on paper, but ultimately hasn't quite turned up for them, and they can't afford mm. that you know type of player to come over and not impress. Um, Bundy was a phenomenal signing for them, but who else has has come over? Mac Hansen's you know, done a, a great job in in the early parts of the season. I think he's gonna he, he'll get international honours over the course of the next year if he keeps playing the way he is. Um, 
But, you know, with the loss of Delan now as well, it does feel as though they do need a little bit of grunt, a little bit of size to, to, um, you know, to, to kind of marry um, with that academy player that is coming through. In fairness to their academy, it's starting to really show when, when you look at uh, some of the players breaking through with Buckley injured. You know, you've had other replacements, Andrews coming through as well. You've seen guys that are... There were concerns around you know, taking their opportunity, but they've really stepped up. So if you could put in a, a good bit of steel with a really high quality international player that's maybe out of the reckoning in the Southern Hemisphere, what they would add from a player point of view, but also enhancing the players at training, giving them intel that they haven't been privy to uh, previously, I think that would absolutely add huge value to this Connacht team. And you know they've come a long way from walking down on 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 Lansing Road was the 2002 when they were to be disbanded mm-hmm. and you think about um where they are now they've they've you know maybe in the years after they were a little bit of a nuisance the RFU I think the RFU now has to be looking at them and going this is a massive opportunity for the development of some of our underage players it they could probably see it as you know the kind of people won't love hearing this but as being a feeder team into some of the other provinces. But if they're able to stand alone on their own and develop players and get players pushing through into the international team, well, you know, four provinces delivering quality players is a hell of a lot better than three, you know? So um, I I think they're doing really well. And I've been super impressed with, with Andy Friend, the way... He's kind of made it about the community again. It feels like they're very accessible to the to the people in their environment. There's a, bit, a closer tie into their amateur um, game over in the West as well, more so than there is in the other provinces. So it just feels as though they're doing all the right things to get the most out of their resources. And it is clearly a province who have an identity and a head coach who believes in that identity so much. And like, I was kind of surprised at the start of the season when Andy Friend took so much issue with what Jake White said about Connacht and the relationship with, with, with Leinster, for example. But it makes perfect sense, really, when you think about the work that has gone in at grassroots level. And I know that Andy Friend name-checked a, a heap of players like Matt Burke and Quaylen Blade at the time and Dave Heffern and Jack Carty and Tiernan O'Halloran at the time as well, saying that these guys are homegrown talent from west of the Shannon, as it were. And, and that is a huge point of pride for, for this province and shows exactly what they're targeting for, for further improvements down the line and maybe my question a few minutes ago about who can they sign to bring in is completely misplaced because Connacht are looking at it the other way entirely Yeah but I think as well and you've got to look at, bo- look at it both with both streams I think you've got to look at homegrown and that's very important and then you've got to look at you know, taking the likes of you know Dowling and, and Prendergast that you know aren't wanted by, you know, by Leinster or other provinces you're going to you know the quality of players that are coming from from, from Leinster academy sub academy that don't ultimately make it in the Leinster team. You know you, you don't have to um, let your pride um, get the better of you of not taking some of those players. But also, if you look at the development of what has happened, those players since they moved across, like Prendergast. You know, I reading last weekend in the the Sunday Times. I think Peter O'Reilly wrote, you know, did an article with him. You know, he was way down the pecking order. He was on the bench for the Ireland under twenties. He was asked to cross by Eric Elwood into the Connacht Academy. He's taken advantage of a couple of injuries, you know, to perform well last season against Racing, and now he's the number one, um, number six for them. And and that's what 
what sport is about is about seeing an opportunity and when it's handed to you, you take it and then you're the guy in possession. I've been super impressed with some of his performances. Dowling, again, has been very good in the second row, not wanted but in the provincial setup and elsewhere. So um, the big question for me, and, and I don't want to, you know, I guess I, I want to look back on, on, on my, my comment about it being a feeder. If they don't want to be a feeder, they've got to now hold on to those players from other provinces and make them their own. The last thing you want to do is bring someone across, develop them, and then one of the other provinces gone, oh, he's actually a really good player. He slipped through the net, you know, in our provincial setup and our academy system, but now we wouldn't mind having him back. What they need to do is hold on to that type of player, make them Connacht players. If they're capable of doing that, with the addition of one or two overseas, good quality overseas players that really deliver for them, I think they can absolutely be a force to to be reckoned with um, potentially challenging for the odd URC, getting to some knockout stages of it, um, but then also providing Irish internationals. So um, it, it can go one or two ways, whereas the last thing you want is players going across there and then doing two years, playing really well, and then go back to their home province. You need to make them their own and make them feel wanted and loved. And listen, you weren't wanted there previously. This is your new home. A bit like the likes of Andrew Conway, um, who's you know who's now a true and true monsterman, whereas you know he came through the provincial setup in, in Leinster couldn't get any game time and now look at what he's managed to do. Connacht need to do that with with the players that they get from other provinces. This weekend then, uh, Leicester, uh, I guess the, the preview before the, the other Connacht game, Connacht against Leicester game, was that uh, Leicester were unbeaten, that they were kind of uh, a little bit untouchable so far this season. That's changed a little bit. They've they finally lost a game and also uh, in the return like now, they are at home. So I presume you're giving them every chance this weekend. Yeah, I think so. I think... Um, a huge component about playing Leicester is how you deal with their kick game. And George Ford didn't play in the in the first game in Welford Road. He'll be back this weekend. He played last weekend against Wasps. They didn't do a huge amount wrong against Wasps, but indisciplined. That was the one thing I think they'll be working on. Borthwick will have been annoyed about and Kevin Sinfield will be annoyed about last weekend. It gave away a lot of penalties. I and mean, when you got someone like Jimmy Goppert to keep the scoreboard ticking over, they, they had two yellow cards as well, including Ellis Genge, who you know finally lost his cool as as Skipper. You know, he'd been doing a good job of you know keeping his emotions intact, but um but Wasps managed to to draw it out of him. So I think the big thing is um, from a from a Connacht perspective is um, is is deal with the kick game extremely well, cover the backfield well. Um, Tiernan O'Halloran is going to be dealing with the spiral bombs from uh, George Ford, um, and obviously the, the the other big aspect was the scrum again in Welford Road when Dan Cole came on, when Montoya came on. Genge didn't play in that game at all, but he'll be back this weekend, so. Can they get some form of parity? Can they not be allow it to be their Achilles heel where um, they'll allow Ford to kick goals or, you know, even down on their own line as they were a couple of times um, a few weeks back in Welford Road? You know, Connacht nearly gave away a penalty try once or twice. There was lots of penalty advantage. And then on, on freebies, on that penalty advantage, Leicester managed to score a couple of tries. 
Um, they can't have any defensive errors to, you know, uh, Wooten kind of came in and, and tried to stop the ball a couple of times. They didn't manage to do it. I guess you you need so much to go well for you. But I do feel as though if Connacht play well, they'll create chances themselves. They'll have some of their own personnel back that maybe they didn't have over in Welford Road. And I think it'll be a close game. And certainly Borthwick will have a lot more respect for um, Connacht than perhaps he might have done um, prior to the first game. Yeah, for sure. That's a quarter past three kickoff on Saturday. You're also due to cover Leinster versus Montpellier on Sunday. That's a one o'clock kickoff, assuming it goes ahead. Just first things first on this one, when you don't play for a month, Brian, how much of a setback is that? How many games does it take you to get up to speed again? Yeah, well, I, I think it's slightly different these days. It does feel as though this Leinster outfit have found a way to hit with hitting the ground running. Um, I guess it's just it's the match sharpness, it's the speed and intensity. You, you, no matter how much training you do, how many of those difficult um, Stuart Lancaster Tuesdays you, you do, um, it's very hard to reenact that the physicality around getting hit, getting up, and the emotion and the adrenaline, dealing with all of that you know, in the melting pot. So, But with that said, you think about the start of seasons for for Leinster where they've been pretty good from the off you know might be a little bit ring rusty but I don't anticipate that to be the case it's usually just a match fitness piece so trying to make sure that the game is is one kind of in the first 50 or 60 minutes because inevitably you'll be emptying the bench things mightn't the cohesion mightn't quite be the same um you know, with replacements coming on. So I think that will be a big focus about having a huge 40 minutes from, from their point of view and, um, and kind of trying to blow Montpellier away. Um, and, you, you know, reading articles about there being you know, a bit of grudge. I don't know whether there's ill feeling as to the attitude around Montpellier the last time round about how much they, they wanted the game played or not uh, back in December. So feels as though Leinster are ready to, to kind of rattle them properly. Would there be bad blood in the dressing room if you were in there? No, I think you, it's a, you got to use whatever emotions, you know, gets, gets you right. Um, I, I can't remember too many situations where I was properly put out. I, I, sometimes if there was an individual that you had a little bit of beef with, I used to look forward to trying to take them on, particularly if they were your opposite number. But with regard to what's gone on previously, I think you leave that to at board level and you, you just worry about your own performance and think about getting five points. The fact that they've missed out on any points in the last game, you know, they, they're only going to be able to get to a maximum of 15 points. That's their, that's their number now. And they're going to have to go and try and get five away from home in against Bath too. So what does 15 points do for you with regard to home, um, you know, uh, um, home knockout stage and home is it last 16, um, and then you know, and then the knock-on effect towards home quarterfinal, semi-finals, and so on. So I think that's their goal. I don't think it's about putting one over on Montpellier. Montpellier aren't going to be featuring in the latter parts of this competition. So it's about just getting the job done for yourself. We had Malcolm O'Kelly with us on OTBAM this week, and he made an interesting point regarding the month layoff for Leinster. He reckons that it is going to set them back by quite a bit to the point where it could have a knock-on impact on the first few Ireland teams that take to the field in the Six Nations this year. He says that it could pave the way for a greater Munster-Connacht-Ulster tint to Andy Farrell's first few teams. Is that something you can see happening yourself? I think it's just difficult to, to 
to change a winning formula, irrespective of whether guys have, has, have had um, a lot of game time or not. You know, they'll be well conditioned because they'll have been working hard the last month, even though they haven't played games. So if they get a couple of games, think about players coming back from injury. Usually one game or two games is enough for them um, to come back and be back in the international reckoning if they're first choice. So that's going to be the case for for this Leinster team. You'd think about how many of them start in the All Black game, how many of them were involved over the course of the whole November and the success that they've had. It's going to be very hard for um, for Farrell to to go away from um, from those players unless you see magnificent performances from some of the other individuals playing for the other provinces, which is very possible. But I do feel as though, provided Leinster get um, a couple of games, um, it'll be the tried and tested for Six Nations with maybe one or two uh, other additions sneaking in. Yeah, Malcolm is always also making the point that uh, Johnny Sexton, I guess he hasn't played since November at this point. He is uh, essentially in a situation where he is uh, an Ireland-only player at this point. I know he's in contention this week. He's he's back in the mix and we'll probably see him in, in a Leinster shirt before he, he does line out for Ireland again that's not the worst position if we're looking at it from an, an Ireland-only standpoint at the moment for, for Sexton to be in, is it? To, to be focusing as much on the country appearance-wise as, as he is for the province? Yeah, I, I cannot see him featuring in the URC very often. Yeah. Um, you know, they have to they have to handpick. You know, he's got to be playing less than, you know, than 20 games a season. Um, and I think that will happen. You know, he's been primed for playing international. He's being kept for the World Cup. He's not being kept to play. Um, you know, even you've seen in the last few years him not starting in URC or, you know, whatever um, Pro, Four, Pro 14 finals, you know, it's been given to Ross Byrne a couple of times. Um, so, you know, it's, um, he is is doing a job. I'm sure Andy Farrell has been having a word with Leo and um, and and Stuart and say, listen, you know, you've got three or four very good tens there. Just mind him, and they will know too that they want to that they want to mind him as well. But yet, for the big European games, try and stop him from playing in them. You know, I think I think Johnny will decide a lot himself as to when he wants to play. I know that might sound strange to people listening, but he has the power now internationally and provincially to be able to go and say, listen, I really would want to play in that game or I'm feeling great or listen to me because I know my body. I, I'm up to playing that one or I need those games in the build up to playing international. He he can go in um, you know, on the back of, of no games, but he will be better served from having you know, a bit of game time, even 50 or 60 minutes in, in these two next weekends before he goes on and plays Wales. So it, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's trying to go in, get the job done and get him off unscathed and, and save him for, for the biggest days being Six Nations and then obviously in time down the, down the road World Cup. At Sexton's age, does he require a few more weeks to get back to being close to an 80-minute man? Or if you had to predict it now, how many minutes do you think we'll, we will see from Sexton against Wales, assuming there's no further injury setbacks? Because I asked that in the context, obviously, of of what's happened with with Joey Carberry in, in particular and, and, and the greater opportunities for guys behind him? Well, I think he's only an 80-minute man if the game's in the balance. I think, he, I think you will see um, him playing 60, 65 minutes. If the game feels as though it's won, good reason to take him off. If it's in the balance, it's hard to make a change. If you're behind, it's good to 
to change something up and bring some fresh legs on. And Joey Carberry is a great player to be able to do that. We've seen him close games out at New Zealand, but also we've seen what he's capable of doing, of creating an opportunity when maybe previously, you know, it, it hasn't happened for Johnny. So it's only going to be those very, very tight games in Six Nations, of which there will be plenty that... Johnny will be looking at, or they will expect him to play 80 minutes. So I think you've got to be smart that if you know if you are a couple of scores ahead, why would you leave that leave him on now? It's it doesn't make sense anymore, um, particularly when you've got good quality players as understudies. And speaking of those understudies, if, if we're saying that this could be something of an audition for the next few weeks absolutely think that's um, what you're saying about November is true that the Andy Farrell will try and keep it as, as similar to, to that to keep the momentum going and I know his name has been mentioned so much on the show over the last little while but just to go back to Connacht again and Jack Carty if we are talking about understudies and the injury problems at 10 how big a few weeks is it for this guy to, to come back from, from his own injury to hit the ground running and, and to try and get his way into that Ireland squad yeah, I, I, I'm kind of torn on this one because I, I really felt as though, you know, he hasn't been, he, he's not been in the reckoning. Yeah. And as much as he's had some good performances, I just don't know if he is um, an Andy Farrell type player. That said, you know, I don't know if we're, we're not going to have Joey Carberry by the sense of things for the first game against, um, against Munster. Harry Byrne hasn't been everything that he's been made out to be with some of you know his cameo performances I know they've been few and far between but even against you know Argentina a bit of a mixed bag he has barely played for Leinster he's had some injuries so very hard to hang your hat on him as being the next um, guy I think Frawley is probably one of the unlucky ones that haven't been in the reckoning I, and I'd be excited to maybe see him a, a little bit more in national camp um, we know what Ross Burns capable of doing, so it feels like it's a, it's a great opportunity from, from Jack Carthy's point of view. But you know, I know he's trying to banish the memories of Japan, but I just wonder. It, it doesn't. It feels as though there's still residuals that it's that mm. maybe Farrell's mind is made up a little bit that he's this guy isn't the guy for him and. If you know if Sexton gets injured and Carberry's not available come the World Cup in two years' time, is he going to be the replacement to get Ireland to a World Cup semi final or a final or bring them to success? I he's I picking just Billy Burns don't... in that situation. Yeah, I think he is. I think he is too. I agree. Like... I think he is picking Billy Burns. There, there's parts of Carty's game obviously that I really like. And sorry, the other thing that that I think is worth pointing out, and I was kind of mulling this over. You know, the kicking percentage there, I think Carty's down at 67 or 68%. I'd love to know what his away kicking percentage is. Because if any player had to go and kick in the sports ground when the gale is blowing, touchline conversions and whatnot, bet you their numbers are going to come down into the 70s. So yeah. what are our stats actually like away from home is probably a better, um, you know, gives you a better understanding as, as to what sort of place kicking percentage he is, you know, he's achieving. Um, yeah. Just there's something about Carthy that I just, you know, I, I don't know. He, he, I want to see him attacking the ball a little bit more as a player and staying square. I think he has, he's a habit a bit like Carberry of turning his shoulders to where the, the ball is being passed. And I think that's, you get that, get away with that maybe at URC, maybe even Europe, but at international level, 
pushing the defense onto the ball carrier there, they're going to get smashed. So I do think that's one area of his game that he absolutely needs to hone. Madigan used to do it as well um, for Ulster and, and probably still does it a bit, where as soon as you turn your shoulders, the defense is gone from you. You're not a threat anymore. And they'll move on and get double hits on on, on whoever your target is. So I think that's one area that, that he needs to improve on. But the rest of his game has been pretty solid. I, I look back on the Leicester performance again. You know, I wouldn't say it was necessarily Roy the Rovers stuff. It was, I'm looking for highlights for BT for the game on, on Saturday. And I watched the first half and there, there were, he was solid without being exceptional. You know, took his try well. Obviously knocked over the, 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 um, the drop goal at the end. So he's there for clutch moments and he's delivering. But... There, for me, there still remains some hang-up, but yet the alternative right now with Carberry gone, I, I, I don't know if it's either the Byrne brothers to, because of their lack of game time. Have you seen someone of Carty's age being able to, to be coached out of those little weaknesses that you see, like the, the, the shoulders that you mentioned there? Like, can Simon Easterby have, have a one-on-one session with him or, or, or a skills coach even? Or, or, or how, does it, how does that work? Is, is, is it possible to, to alter that? Yeah, of course it is. I think one thing that I've discovered, you can be coached anything. I think you can, you watch how some of the players that I played with, um, you know, towards the end of my career, the, the, the how they evolved into very different players. You know, Devin Toner is a great example of that. He would never have been a ball player, but then as a first receiver in that, you know, part of being able to tip the ball out inside or pull it out the back, but yet look as though he could carry himself. That was a massive evolution. Um, Adam Byrne becoming an offloader from a guy when I was playing with them, you know, always died with the ball. So there is totally an evolution through the coaching piece that we've seen at both national and provincial level. So it can it can be taught. It just needs clarity of the coach to understand that that needs to happen. And I think. Again, we've been treated with with Johnny, and I think um, Harry Burns very good at it as well. He stays square very, very long, and then whips the passes. And I think he just he holds the inside defenders that little bit better than than other players. Um, and the knock on effect is, you know, there mightn't be an appreciation, but I bet you there's an appreciation from the players on his team that by staying square and taking it to the line, you create an opportunity to get inside shoulders. And then the knock on effect is offloads and people running good lines from you being able to get your hands free. So it's just a small thing, but it's something that I've watched closely over the last while. And, and, and he is just playing a little bit laterally, and and maybe that's one aspect that I've you know that Andy Farrell has been looking at and thinking you just can't get away with that at, at international level. Right, that's very interesting. Just to mention as well, then Northampton against Ulster at a quarter past three on Sunday. That's the the final of the four Irish related games this weekend in the Heineken Champions Cup. It feels like every time we talk about Ulster at the moment, Brian is a question of where are Ulster at at the moment what sort of Ulster is going to show up at the weekend and like is it too harsh to, to be overly critical of, of losing a game in Thomond Park or is it reasonable to suggest that a team who were in the lead and get an extra man essentially for the rest of the game that they should be seeing that game out well, both, to be honest with you. I think there, there's obviously a, a huge galvanizing effect to any team when they lose a man. I don't know, it, it changes. It realize, you you realize that you're you're going to you're going to have to take that extra, you know, 5 or 6% on your own performance to make up for that loss. So, um I do feel as though um there is that 
factor that you know Munster managed to turn around and managed to deliver and you know through sheer bloody mindedness and and intent and one or two good offloads in the lead up to the um to the final try Coombs got a brilliant offload away where you know lots of players would have died so there's winning big moments i think the other thing about Ulster was when they when they were 13 uh, 11 up they they started playing a bit negatively they started box kicking the ball away a lot Doak kicked a couple of poor box kicks um Mike Lowry was the only one that really looked as though he wanted to attack with with real intent and and threat and it felt as though they tried to defend that not lose it rather than go out and win and get the next score and I think that mindset is so important um in in victory that when you're you know, when you're trying to see a game out, inevitably you let the other team in in some capacity or when you when you play less positively, and it's not even playing negatively, but less positively, you just you open the door to the opposition going and being a threat at you. And so it just shows the mentality around playing to, to win and score rather than playing to not concede. How do you change that attitude if you're one of those players and and you it feels like that's sort of a little bit ingrained that that attitude shift in in that second half? I think it's just a I think it's a bit of leadership to be honest with right. you. I think you know in a, in pivotal positions people taking the bull by the horns. You know I, I think obviously Doak is a is a young guy, but be it you know a, a captain in there or you know a leader. You have to remember as well, it's pretty young Ulster team. You know a lot of them are just are starting to make names for themselves. Um, but it does feel as though, you know, a Vermeulen or someone needed to step up. And I know he's new to the squad, but, you know, to step up and go, right, this is what we need to do. Let's play and uh, against Munster. Let's take them through some phases. Let's force them into making mistakes. We can kick to the corner. We can build on our mall. Let's try and look at how we build our next score rather than thinking, oh, we're in possession. Let's play territory. Let's play down there. And let's back our defence, um, because you know, with good offloads like Coombs' one, that's the difference. Sometimes getting your hands free in behind, get in behind the defensive line, and then you know, three or four phases later, um, they're they're you know they're getting in. So um, I just think it's it's an experience piece, and um, and they'll be better for their loss. But it's it's kind of a bitter bit of a bitter pill to swallow because you know they they were in a great position to go and have their first win there in what seven or eight years and and they really let it slip and they'd be kicking themselves we were talking earlier about Connacht and, and their kind of potential breakthrough moment that, that could be coming down the tracks or how to get to that next level it does feel that Ulster have been tipping along at a similar level for quite some time like even if we go back a couple of seasons to, to, to Stockdale's drop ball at, at the Aviva Stadium and obviously then if we go back through the last 10 years and like getting to a Heineken Cup final it feels that they've been able to hit a level inconsistently but the level has been relatively high is it just that consistency piece which is which is the, the not the final piece of the jigsaw but is is the part that will kick Ulster onto that next level yeah, I think I think if you look at that team ten years ago, I think that was a very good Ulster team. Mm-hmm. The one that got to the final, they were getting to you know Celtic League finals. We beat them in one around thirteen or fourteen, um, and that was a good team. You know they were. So I think they just missed out on having a little bit of luck to get some success. It does feel as though this is a building team. You've seen some some you know kind of youthful. Uh, players breaking through, Hume coming through, Balakoon coming through, Lowry starting to put in some performances. 
um, they've always lacked a bit of steel. When they struggled, it lacked steel up front. And what what was great about that team 10 years ago, John Afoa, Rory Best, uh, Johan Muller. I think if you look now at the second row, Alan O'Connor, Carter, Treadwell, I don't think there's anyone that you would be afraid of in that in th- that threesome. I know Henderson has been in and out, mm. obviously when he's playing well and delivering for them, but he, we haven't seen an awful lot of them in an Ulster jersey. And then you look at at the the front row, it's fine for URC, but you know Warwick, um, you know um, Herring, you know very good with his darts, um, won't won't let you down. But when you're looking at you know, European style player, caliber players, world class players. I think they they fall short, and and that's why they've been almost there, but not you know quite being able to deliver week on week is because the you know comparatively to their better team a decade ago, they don't have the same level of quality in some of those grunt positions, laying the platform for for what what's always been quite a nice backline, but ultimately they haven't been able to deliver for them. Yeah, and it is uh, away to Northampton this weekend. Just a reminder, at a quarter past three on Sunday. Just one last thing to ask you about, Brian, before we wrap up today. Uh, a news that I think maybe a lot of people would have missed over the course of the Christmas or just before the Christmas was that the IRFU have a new CEO in Kevin Potts. His, it was announced on December 22nd. He took over on January the 1st. And I guess this is a sense of, of next man up. It's a, an inside the IRFU appointment. It's a very safe appointment. Is it one that could have been a little bit more ambitious, Brian? Yeah, I think it could have been. Um, I, I'll caveat that bit by saying I I've, I know Kevin Potts relatively well. Not well, relatively well. I, I know him. I like him. I think he's a good guy. He's obviously been chief operating officer for four or five years now. Um, he's seen what goes on um, under the bonnet in the IRFU. I guess... The only thing is that I knew the other external candidate and I was very excited when I was in conversation with, with him um, a few months ago when he was being um, suggested as a potential replacement for Philip Brown. Sometimes you need eyes from the outside coming in to not revolutionize, but um, evolve um, a setup. And it does feel as though when you promote from within, you know, you you can't see, you don't bring any external factors in with you um, and see where the, there might be some need for change. Um, it was a pretty unenviable time for him to come in and take over after the the letter from the from the women's um, team um, from those 60 players, past and present. Um, so, yeah, I did note that Kevin Potts was pretty quiet over that couple of week period. I know he was on the interim at that time, but um, it does feel just because I know that other candidate, it, it really would have been a, a bold play. And I think he, you know, he could have really kind of made for great change, vast experience with venture capital. Um, I saw Philip Brown did an article, you know, pre-Christmas with the Sunday Times uh, business section about how maybe it is time to take on venture capital. Well, you want people that are most experienced with that. And I know Kevin Potts had some dealings with CBC um up to this point in in um with that URC and Six Nations deal but just when when you know the individual that was the alternative and you rate them as highly as I I do I I guess you you can't help but feel a little bit frustrated that that bigger change might have been 
the next level of progression into what where rugby needs to go. Can you tell us what what change are the IRFU missing out on by by not appointing the external candidate? Well, I think if you look at at the way the setup is that the power of the CEO in the IRFU, I don't feel as though has the same level of power in most organizations. It's still very committee driven. It's still, you know, Philip Brown talked about how at times in, in that article, how at times it's very difficult to have decisions, sometimes difficult to get decisions across the line because of that process. So structurally, um, you wonder would someone coming in and changing things up have been a positive um, for the overall business structure and how how you know, decisions could be made, but the reality is as well, and 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 this might be lovely to hear, but a lot of the makeup of the committees is from people doing twenty year service with their clubs and then getting elevated to their provincial setup and then to the national setup. It's very hard for all of those individuals that have put the graft in. If someone new came in and changed those structures, they wouldn't be. You know, and a lot of these are on our voluntary basis. That they're not going to be getting their you know potential trips away, or you know some of the upsides to to that involvement. So I, I understand why they mightn't want to, you know, um, you know, shake the boats, um, shake the boat. The right term, no? Rock the boat, rattle Rock a few cages. Boat, thank you. Rattle a few either, cages. Either either works. One, one or both of those. So, um, yeah, because, you know, it, wouldn't, it, it, it obviously isn't kind of beneficial from their perspective. Um, I get that too, but it, it, it's, yeah, it does feel as though it's not, it's not dealt with on, on, on my understanding of the union is not dealt with on, the, on a business as per other businesses are, are, are function and how they're seen from a profit and loss making perspective. Well, it, it's human nature, isn't it, to, to kind of look after your own position like how much like is, is this a missed opportunity I guess from the IRFU to, to not but I, I was, I'm about to say rattle their own cage here a little bit but like what, what organisation does take that decision voluntarily you know well I think there was a big decision down in Australia a few years ago to change the organisation makeup and obviously you know they're um, they've hit some tough times with, with rugby down there and, and the success of it, you know, you think about back to the nineties and how good that Australian team was. It, it, it kind of has flattered to deceive since the world cup in 2003, even though they got to the world cup final in 2015 under Michael Checker. But um, it, I, I do feel as though it's a, a possible missed opportunity because when, you know, like I said, when you employ from within and Kevin Potts is, is he with the IRFU for the guts of 15 years? I'm not sure exactly how long he's been there, but you, it's, it's very hard to feel a freshness in your environment when you do employ from within. And you think about now how often executive CEOs jump from one firm to another, but are able to bring new concept, freshness, new thoughts and ideas, um, and just... Uh, um, an understanding of how someone did something successfully in another way and bring it into your environment. When you employ from within, I guess you don't get any of that. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how this uh, comes through over the next few months. As you mentioned there, the, the letter signed by the 60 past and present women is a is a huge topic that's not going to go away. And I presume that'll be top of the agenda for Kevin Potts and the IRFU over the next little while. 
plus on top of that then the, the post-pandemic financial aspect so a massive year to be stepping into to Philip Brown's sure, uh, shoes for sure there from, from Kevin Potts just a reminder plenty of rugby coverage coming up this weekend on OTB Sports we're going to have Ashling O'Reilly reporting from Connacht against Leicester Tigers it's at the sports ground at 3.15 uh, throughout OTB Saturday and then on Sunday we've got live commentary of Leinster against Montpellier Conor Morris and Andy Dunn will be watching that one Brian O'Driscoll great stuff thanks a million cheers on. Brian O'Driscoll on Off the Ball with Vodafone official sponsors of the Irish rugby team team of us everyone in 